Welcome to Zero Brightness, a podcast about horror video games. I am one of your hosts, Ali Jafar, and I'm joined, as always, by the half of my soul that I split and sent to the hell world, James Woodard. How's it going, James? Sub haters. <laughs> it's going great. The new season of Queer Eye is out, and I've just been uh, absorbing that positivity yeah. through my television screen into my eyes. Yeah, dude. You gotta do it. You, you gotta stay positive. Today, we're not talking about something positive. Uh, <laughs> we're talking about the original Silent Hill. Silent Hill 1. Yeah. The, the OG. <laughs> I kind of hate that like naming conventions make it so that you sort of have to say the one. You have to say the one, yeah. It makes it sound like the Xbox One or something. <laughs> <laughs> Silent Hill O-N-E. Yeah, <laughs> come on, dude. <laughs> Oh boy! Silent Hill is a uh, It's like when you're like just like digging in the woods And you find something cool And it's like got a bunch of shit all over it And it's all like rough And you take home and polish it And that's the sequel But now Silent Hill is the rough, dirty Like muffler you found in the woods Yes Well, and I don't disagree But I will say that I was struck by How much is there Like how yeah. much of what makes the series what it is is in the first game and it's it's incredible what what they pulled off it's rough but it's an extremely ambitious game and it sets the groundwork for so many future games yeah absolutely and i mean i've played through this game so 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 many times but i actually haven't played it in a very long time Mm -hmm. so replaying it for this episode for me was kind of a crazy ride because there's a lot of stuff I forgot there was a lot of stuff that I mean I don't know if I had noticed before there's a lot of stuff that's very different having played like the rest of the series and watched the movie and thought about it a bunch it makes it a very different experience but I kept coming back to like feeling like a lot of what would get you know expanded later in the series is in the first game and it's done well for what it is oh totally well the my first impression of it was dear god there's a lot of dithering going on <laughs> if, if you're not familiar dithering is kind of a visual trick to fool the eye into seeing more colors than in this situation the playstation is able of displaying at the same time so it does kind of a um a stippling effect, but it's like a stippling pattern over the screen with like little tiny dots. And if you're not playing it on a CRT, it's very jarring, like just immediately. Yeah. If you if you're playing it on a CRT, it's it's smoothed out a bit, but the dithering is still very apparent. So yeah, it's really interesting going back to this game and just being assaulted by the dithering because that you know, playing this game back in the nineties, I didn't notice that at all. Yeah, that's true. And another thing is that I feel like this game to me is like the PS1 aesthetic, Mm. like the font, the (laughs) filtering, the, the aesthetics, the colors, like it's really like this and Metal Gear Solid are like the PS1 aesthetic. So, well, Metal Gear Solid was also made by Konami. Right. And it was also dithered to hell. Yeah. So uh, Konami was actually pretty infamous in the PS1 days for dithering everything. Yeah. But I don't know. Like I said, to me, that's like the PS1 look. Mm. 
And so it's actually kind of nostalgic and fun for me to play this game or to go back and play Metal Gear Solid. Like, that's the look. Totally. And it's also why sometimes when I play modern games that are supposed to have that look, like Glass Staircase or, mm. you know, things like that, it they don't look right to me because I think I'm expecting something like this. Yeah. So, you know, back in the day, if you wanted to display low contrast scenes, it's very difficult to do. So you either choose dithering or color banding. Um, color banding looks significantly worse in a lot of situations. So I could see why they went with dithering just because there's so much gray in this game. Um, I don't yeah. think you would have been able to do the fog properly without the dithering. Yeah, exactly. Well, and that's another thing about, you know, on a technical level is that what's impressive in this game is how extreme all the choices are. So yeah, like there's a ton of dithering, but it's also like, dude, the darkness in this game is just oppressive. And I don't know if any of the other games in the series come back to this. I don't think they do. No. Uh, and it's, it's extremely disorienting because when it's really dark, you're also in the hell world. So things don't make sense. So it's extremely disorienting. Uh, we'll get into that when we, once we start talking about sort of the different areas in the game, but yeah, the darkness is just like choking. Right. And it's the same thing with the fog where it's like, you really don't know where you are or where you're going. And so once you get past, I think like the opening area of the game as a modern player and you kind of get over how everything looks and how it's going to look, uh, you really start to appreciate how well these technical choices work, even if they were technical choices. Yeah, totally. So speaking of technical choices, I do want to talk a little bit about the development of this game. I know I've already talked about it before in another episode, and I definitely <laughs> talked about it in the Demon Daddies episode about Silent Hill, but it's just so fucking fascinating to me. This game is like one of those how did this get made sort of scenarios. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically Silent Hill and its three sequels in the original run were all developed by Team Silent. Uh Team Silent was like the the last chance losers club at Konami <laughs> where basically they weren't doing well in the company. They their products or their projects weren't succeeding. They weren't fitting in with their coworkers, things like that. And so they rounded them all up and they put them on a project that was like, "Okay, here's your chance to try and do something cool." And the directive was to make a game that would be successful in the West. Yeah. Uh, Make a game that had more of a Western feel to it. And so basically they decided to make like a psychological horror game set in a small town in America. A couple things that are interesting about that is obviously it's a group of Japanese people who didn't really have experience with America or American culture. Mm-hmm. And so it's largely experienced through references and homages. Yeah. So yeah. this game is insanely reference heavy. Packed with Easter um, eggs. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll, we'll go into a lot of them because I love it. Yeah, exactly. Um, so another interesting thing about this project was that they basically had no support. I mean, they had a super small staff and the company generally was like not willing to play ball with them. Crazy story is that um, there's an artist named Takeyoshi Sato mm. who was basically doing all of the 3D modeling and doing all of the CG movies. Right. And 
However, he wasn't really allowed to work on stuff. Like, he was basically teaching other artists how to do the 3D modeling, and then they would do it, and mm-hmm. the company wouldn't let him work on stuff. And they uh, they also, like, weren't really giving him credit. Right. And so what he did was he told the company, all right, I'm not working, like, I'm not teaching anyone else how to do any of this stuff until you let me do work on it. Uh, and so Konami's response was, okay, well, then do it all. So he basically did all of like the 3D modeling and CGI cutscenes and everything like by himself. Yeah, apparently legend says he uh, he rendered it on everyone's workstations after everyone went home, and he just lived and slept in the office for like what four months or something like that. Yeah, insane, totally insane. Um, And another interesting thing about him is that he uh, actually did some work on the plotting as well Mm. so he had some like story input and a lot of the look and feel of the game and the characters comes directly from him which is pretty crazy uh he did say in an interview though that he's still not credited by name in the game he's credited as sato works which is like his company which is jesus nuts fuck konami (laughs) yeah fuck konami um (laughs) so other interesting things about the development here uh the in the quest to make a game that had a western feel uh they chose a pretty specific pool of things to reference there's obviously some stuff outside of it but um there's a lot of references to as we talked about in the silent hill 2 episode i mean there's like european film Mm. there's russian literature and then there's basically like some sort of oddball 90s American horror stuff, like specifically Stephen King and Twin Peaks. Totally. Yep. Some schlocky horror movies <laughs> and a bunch of weird rock and roll. Yeah. Which exactly. we'll get into. <laughs> yeah. Cause I love but, it. Yeah. What I didn't, what I didn't know um, before doing some research for this episode is that all the characters names were references or kind of like secondhand references change in translation that sort of hint at this pool of uh, influences. So like Alessa and Dahlia were originally supposed to be Asia and Daria. Yes. uh, (laughs) Which is like, you know, AKA Argento. Mm -hmm. Um, The original name of the protagonist and his daughter was uh, Humbert and Dolores Mm -hmm. as in, uh, Lolita by Nabokov, uh, which is really gross. I'm glad they kind of creepy. That. Yeah, that was not a good one. Um, <laughs> um, there's references apparently to like Alice in Wonderland and the Lost World. Mm. Uh, the Doctor Michael Kaufman is apparently like a combination of the two producers from Troma, yes. which is Michael Hertz and Lloyd, Lloyd Kaufman. Kaufman. Yeah, yeah. I, I love Lloyd Kaufman. I've met yeah. him, and he's signed all my Toxic Avenger tapes. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out Uncle Lloydie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and an, another interesting bit, too, is that, so in Silent Hill 1, O-N-E, uh, 
they hadn't yet established the metaphysical universe of Silent Hill. So they don't have all the sort of like angels and gods and demons and stuff that are <laughs> pseudo unique to Silent Hill. At least the combination of them is unique. Yeah. Um, so in this game, they're all just like really Old Testament uh, angel and demon names, mm-hmm. uh, which is pretty interesting. It's it was interesting at the time, but it's really interesting to go back to now just because, once again, it's another thread that the series didn't pick up. And instead, they created their own mythos, you know? Yeah. I, I, I love how, like, on the nose all these references are, though. Oh, totally. Like, even when you open up the map, all the streets are just horror and suspense. Authors. Authors. Yeah, totally. And, like, in the first half... It's like obvious, but then the second half is just even more obvious because they just picked like even more popular authors like Crichton uh-huh. and like Coon Street, I think, yeah. is in there. Uh, one of them is Stephen King's pseudonym. Right. Yeah. And there's another poster. Um, there's a study damn it poster by a by a, a notebook where you can save. And that's from like a newspaper that Stephen King used to edit in college. <laughs> Oh, crazy. Yeah, there's some deep shit. Uh, yeah. Since we're talking references and Easter eggs, as you're running around, kind of in the middle of the game, you can come by a uh, newspaper machine, and mm-hmm. the the headline from Silence of the Lambs is in there. Bill Skin's fifth victim. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, right down the street from that, there's uh, graffiti that says Red Rum from The Shining. Yeah, and there's yeah. a store. Uh, there's a cut right chainsaw store that's lifted from Texas Chainsaw Massacre too. Nice. Uh, later on, in the inside of a building, there's a staircase directly from Psycho. Oh, crazy! Yeah, and the, um, there's one part in The Exorcist where welts start showing up on Reagan's back, and it, it spells "Help me out," and that's written exactly the same as a door in the game. Yeah, I saw that. Really cool. Oh. Um, yeah, that's super cool. There's there's more that we'll get to also. Um, yeah, musical references sure. and everything. Yeah, I mean, like, I, yeah, I guess we'll talk about <laughs> Kim Gordon's house when we get there. Yeah, because we all want to hang out at Kim Gordon's house. Yeah, even though it's like kind of dingy. <laughs> she gets 100% of my love. <laughs> um, anyways, let's talk some nuts and bolts stuff. Um, yeah, so Silent Hill, yeah. 1999, developed by Team Silent. What do you do? What do you do in this game? Yeah, so like, you know, it's clearly inspired by Resident Evil, but mm-hmm. it's more story-based. While Resident Evil, um, you know, the progression is just unlocked by, like, exploring this mansion puzzle box, Silent Hill threads you along with, you know, narrative, essentially. It's it's an evolution of Resident Evil in several ways, especially since there's no pre-rendered backgrounds. It can be a lot more cinematic. Mm-hmm. And it really capitalizes on that, and I think it's really groundbreaking because it does a lot of like really like nauseating sort of abstract camera angles, especially at the beginning and at the end of the game. It does a lot of weird stuff. Dude, that's exactly what I was going to say, is that the beginning and the end of the game are crazy. Yeah. The camera angles are nuts. The camera movement is nuts. Um, it's super cool, and... I kind of wish they had done a little more of that in the game because similarly, those sections are really linear. Yeah. So 
I mean, they basically composed a shot and they want you to walk through the shot. So they don't really give you the opportunity to fuck it up. Yeah. And I like those moments a little more than some of the other moments. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Where you're just fighting the camera. I think Eternal Darkness took some cues from that, too. We'll talk about Eternal Darkness soon. Anyways, um, yeah, so like the, the cinematic aspect of survival horror was just cranked to 11 for this game. We're not just mm-hmm. panning and scanning across JPEGs anymore. Yeah. And similarly, like a lot of the gameplay elements that would take you out of that sort of cinematic frame are removed. So there's no inventory management. Yeah. There aren't limited saves. You know, you're not pulling the increment out of the box, saving, and then having to put it back in the box. Yeah. Like, there's not a ton of, ton of like menu juggling. The UI is super minimal. There's yeah. It's one of the earliest games where there's basically like no UI while you're playing. You have to pause yeah. to check your health and everything. So yeah, it is cool uh, playing this game with like a DualShock controller because you get the the rumble tells you when you need to heal. True. Yeah. <laughs> and like, well, and also the controls are just better with it. Yeah, absolutely. And another thing that's a stark contrast to Resident Evil is that it's really open-ended and basically Mm -hmm. after the intro you're kind of just like thrown into the town and you're trying to figure out what the fuck to do if if you're kind of dumb and you don't pay attention to the clues you're not going to know what the fuck you're supposed to do and you're just going to run around town yeah and i think it's one of the design choices in this game that is really really cool is that everything is supposed to be open-ended so the creators have said that like they wanted the story to be open-ended and sort of confusing so the player can decide what happens but the gameplay follows suit there's all these sections where you're just running around town you don't know what to do like you're just trying to figure out where to go next and the game really plays with you in that way Mm -hmm. because like it'll add little notes to your map that you might not even notice right away. Yeah. And it's like, oh, that's actually where I'm supposed to go. Or later in the game, there are certain puzzles where it's like another option will appear on an elevator, like a door will move and weird shit like that. Like the game is definitely wanting you to just sort of wander around, not getting feedback and then subtly finding some sort of clue or hint and just being like, oh shit. So One thing I wanted to mention was that with the sequels, there's always like a little bit of rest and levity. I feel Mm -hmm. in Silent Hill 1, the atmosphere is just so oppressive. You get like no levity or breaks. There's no, there's no funny like characters like Eddie or there's no like Heather being jokey. It's just you're alone, you're confused. You have no fucking idea where to go and there's bad guys everywhere. Yeah. No, I 100% agree. And like this game is super unrelenting in all yeah, ways. Like, totally. like you said, the atmosphere and the vibe that it puts out is super dark and unrelenting. But I was really surprised to come back to this game and realize how much unskippable combat there is in it. There's a lot of like, combat, but they're, they also give you a lot of bullets. Right. That's what I mean. It's like they're <laughs> signaling to you that it's like, hey, yeah, fucking kill the thing, man. Yeah. Like, shoot that thing. And it was really interesting because a lot of the later games in the series, especially three and four, got really dogged on by critics for having too much combat or having really unrelenting combat. And mm-hmm. I don't think either of them got to this level. Maybe four, maybe. 
Yeah. But like mm. this game is brutal and you have to fight most of the enemies you come across, especially indoors. Yeah. Unless you really know what you're doing and know where to go, you can kind of run past everybody. But if, if it's kind of like your first run through or first run through in a while and you don't remember the puzzles or solutions, you really have to grind at it and, you know, clear out areas because there's going to be a lot of backtracking and confusion. Yeah, but it's it's cool. Actually, I didn't mind it until the end of the game when it got really fucking annoying and over the top. <laughs> yes, but when there's like, no map. Yeah, you really oh, rely but, on your map in this game. And, you know, as you yeah. pointed out earlier, he, uh, Harry annotates it as you as you go. So mm-hmm. that's super helpful, um, especially in such a confusing uh, low resolution place as such as Silent Hill. Yeah, but for most of the game, I sort of I didn't mind the intense combat and the amount of combat just because it really contributed to the atmosphere mm-hmm. and kind of made it made it really cool. I I was surprised to find that it was a part of the game and also surprised to find that I didn't hate it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I you know, coming back to the game, I thought it would be a lot harder to play than it was, but it's it's mm-hmm. pretty approachable even in 2019. So, another thing that this game really maxes out on that I didn't expect because it really didn't come back until the later entry in the series is the crazy nonsense sound design. Yeah. The sound design in this game is bananas. It's disgusting. Um, <laughs> I think Yamaoka yeah. had, he must have had a 12-bit sampler because everything sounds a little bit crushed. And not in a modern bit crush sort of way, in like an 80s 9-inch nails bit crush sort of way. Oh, yeah. So I think he's probably using like MPC 800 or something. I have no fucking idea, but he's probably using a 12-bit sampler. Uh, But it definitely adds this like dirty industrial aesthetic. You know, this this psychic TV sound, you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. And also, I mean, just the placement of sounds and the choices. Like there's so, so, so many rooms where there's just weird crashes and groans and crying Mm. and all this stuff that doesn't have anything to do with the game and it's just there to unnerve you like i said i don't feel like the games really return to that until three um maybe Mm. just in three where there's like a ton of that and i think it's a reference to this game yeah totally i love it and i think yeah the low bitrate nature of it makes it just even weirder and creepier so you know i think a, a lot of our listeners are gamers and not total music nerds like us so I sure. think it might be important to sort of talk about uh, yeah, in the future we'll be doing a music of Silent Hill episode. But I think here we should at least talk about some of the influences of Yamaoka. Um, right. Psychic TV is mentioned several times during the game. There's a uh, Orage Bridge named after Genesis Orage, the leader of Psychic TV. And there's a drug in the game named PTV, which is a clear reference to Psychic TV. So, you know, we can't ignore the industrial Genesis Orage, Throbbing Gristle, Psychic TV, like, circle of influence. Right. If you're not familiar, Throbbing Gristle essentially started the industrial noise genre of music, along with, you know, other acts like Einstürz and Neubauten. But it, it, it came from this, like, almost performance art thing, really at atonal and amusical sounds, and they built sort of soundscapes around it usually with genesis orage barking something horrible if i'm editing this episode you're probably hearing hamburger lady right now (laughs) yeah (laughs) but and i'm I'm, this is a little bit of 
uh, a tangent, but I'll probably never be able to tell this story. Uh, I own Genesis Orich's Game Boy from the Psychic TV era in the 90s because a very close friend of mine played in Psychic TV for a couple years. So that's that's my one small Psychic TV story. But anyways, (laughs) you can't ignore that influence in the soundtrack. Yeah, I love Psychic TV and... Robbie Gristle and Einstein's ending about and like that's my shit and you know I mean like other stuff that this music makes me think of like uh, Coil yeah um, like I love all that shit when I was a teenager especially and this like trying to find cool interesting music to listen to that super struck a chord with me yeah and yeah it clearly struck a chord with Akira Yamaoka he actually there's a sort of a funny anecdote about him presenting the music to the rest of the team working on the game and them thinking that it was a glitch <laughs> yeah and then he had to like explain to them what industrial music is yeah and then they liked it yeah which is amazing yeah but what a great story in the context of this game it's interesting to go back to because it's so industrial and it's so atonal it's a very very extreme soundtrack it's it just adds so much to the oppressive atmosphere of the game right and like the game still has these sort of like lush beautiful musical interludes that are either on piano or have like a full band with heavy guitar and that kind of became more the Silent Hill trademark as the series went on and even in the later games, they always had a very, very strong, like harsh industrial component, mm-hmm. but it was usually juxtaposed with like airy synthesizers or dramatic piano or slow dive. Yeah, or slow dive. <laughs> <laughs> and like, uh, it, it was always juxtaposed with these very like pretty melodic elements. Um, or it was sort of used in more of like a hip hop way yeah. where the a trip industrial hop com- way. Yeah, trip hop or hip hop kind of yeah. way where it's like the industrial component was more like the drums were kind of like grimy loops, but then on top of that would be like bass and piano and guitar and just more traditional instruments. Going back to this game, it's very, very, very industrial and it's yeah. very harsh and it's super unsettling. It's really, really good soundtrack. I know I say a lot on the podcast that like Gamers are like no taste having scum, but <laughs> at least game developers are taste having scum. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. Well, and I like, okay. And I've said this on the podcast a bunch of times. Silent Hill music is the best music. Just full stop bar none. But <laughs> like, uh, I mean, like literally I just drive around in my fucking PT cruiser listening to Silent Hill soundtracks. Uh, <laughs> I burned them all on CD and I listened to them in my PT Cruiser vehicle. Fucking sick. I'm about that life. (laughs) Oh, you know I'm about that life. Anyway, if you like the soundtrack to Silent Hill, gamers, gamers out there, (laughs) put down your fucking Final Fantasy VII soundtracks. Maybe like go to your local record shop, grab some Psychic TV, grab some Throbbing Gristle. Yeah. Grab some heroin. (laughs) <laughs> fuck okay, up your life listen to don't some do heroin kids <laughs> listen to some dark yeah. industrial i love uh that dreams less sweet album yeah dude fuck that's just like one of my favorite records of all time i still listen to that all the damn time honestly just just listen to hamburger lady by throbbing gristle right now like <laughs> yeah. read the lyrics it's so fucked up it's just about a burn victim in the hospital yeah 
And that's very Silent Hill. It's Silent Hill as fuck. It, it sounds like when the room is filled with bad guys in Silent Hill. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Well, and, and what I was going to say is that I think the soundtrack in this game is really cool just in terms of seeing the series roots and seeing how Yamoka developed as a musical artist. Because part of the reason I like listening to the soundtracks is that they feel like albums and you can mm. see a progression like an artist was making albums and it progresses as the games go on. That's super rare for video games, to your point. Yeah. Like, I don't listen to a lot of video game soundtracks, even though I enjoy a lot of video game music. Like, I listen to ones that feel like albums and that feel like they were composed by like an artist trying to make an album. Hyper Light Drifter. Oh, God. Yeah, that disaster piece, anything by that dude is just like the best. Yeah. He's also really smart in the way that he sequences his soundtrack albums to feel more like albums. Mm. Um, And that's another thing, too. Like, there's just a lot of soundtracks. So even like uh, the last game soundtrack that I actually like paid for was the near automata soundtrack because it wasn't mm. streaming anywhere there's some bangers on there that's one of the best soundtracks i've ever heard in my life but that album fucking sucks like, really oh as an album it sucks yes so like you have to go and like make your own playlist and sequence it and like pick the songs you want to hear and like cut out the 15 different versions of like the vocal song that's in the game weak and it's like yeah super weak so i appreciate the silent hill soundtracks for really feeling like great albums and being well sequenced in that way the people that put together the video game soundtracks they don't let the tracks breathe enough either you know, if there's yeah. a cool loop that's only two minutes, like, you can loop it a couple times and make it six minutes long. Like, it's an atmosphere sure. piece. Like, chill the fuck out. I think that's why, like, 10-hour <laughs> versions of, like, loops on YouTube are so popular. Like, yeah. we want to hear the Resident Evil, like, save room song for more than 90 seconds. Loop that oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you, oh, you know I agree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Brian Eno um, did nothing for a minute and a half. Stop that. Yeah. <laughs> Go listen to Brian exactly. Hanno, guys. Yeah. I mean, music for airports is just like 90 minutes of the same thing. Exactly. And it rips. Shit slays. Well, there's another one called like Tuesday afternoon or some shit. And it's just like oh, nine fucking minutes. Classic. Slays, bro. Dude. So good. Anyways. Frippinino records. I hope you gamers shit. are like taking notes about music. You should listen <laughs> to put down the fucking Lincoln park and trapped. <laughs> trapped unless it's the ps2 game i was gonna say you know when we do that episode i'm editing it and i'm dropping in headstrong like every 15 seconds be what you want to be in life <laughs> <laughs> anyway oh my god wow, what are we okay. talking about so silent hill is the story of a generic white male <laughs> named harry mason he's so generic white male that you can barely make his face out <laughs> And you know, though, another thing I read in an interview while researching is that they did that on purpose so that once again, as with most of the other choices in the game, the story would just kind of breathe and the player could make their own decisions and decide what happened and how they wanted to interpret things and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I think it works a lot better in this game than it does in like two or four. Just that aspect of it. Yeah. Well, you get more personality from james right you don't get any personality from harry all you get from harry are like dumb questions like what's what? going on around here dude i swear i swear to god some of those lines are just the same line sampled over and over and over totally like the what's going on or what is that <laughs> 
What are all these dogs I'm killing? (laughs) Whose dog is this? Uh, It's... Yeah, but I think that his sort of blandness does kind of work because the whole game is so weird and confusing. And the point of the game is that there really isn't a big reveal. Like, there are a couple soliloquies that feel like big reveals, but they're not really. And you just sort of are confused by the end of the game. And so having a protagonist who's a blank slate, who's also confused the whole time, is, uh, <laughs> is okay. Well, it makes a great story to convert into a movie. <laughs> yeah, dude, you can do whatever the hell you want with There's it. There's some fucking Sean Bean in there. Yeah, man. You know what they should have did? They should have put low poly Sean Bean from GoldenEye into the Silent Hill movie. Oh, that would have been cool. Yeah. I, I mean, I would play a mod of this game that either let me be low poly Sean Bean <laughs> um, or just let me be Hank Hill and all of the dialogue is just whoa. <laughs> and you're chasing Bobby through the fog. <laughs> that boy ain't right. <laughs> or uh, Lady Bird. <laughs> <laughs> Lady Bird. <laughs> yeah, dude. You know what the fuck I'm talking about. Yeah. It'd be like the tornado episode of King of the Hill. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hiding the trailer with Luann. Hiding so the school good. bus with Luann. <laughs> <laughs> Hiding the school bus. <laughs> Hell yeah, dude. Anyway, uh,. <laughs> So you're you're Harry Mason. You crash your car and wake up in Silent Hill and your daughter is missing. So you jump out of that, you know, 1997 Subaru Outback and you hightail it through a spooky town looking for your daughter, Cheryl. And shit's weird, man. Shit is weird right away. I mean, Basically, it's kind of kind of wacky out, and then it just gets wackier and wackier. I will say the intro to this game is fucking dope. Dude, the intro to this game is amazing, and also the way they adapted it in the movie is really, really good, I think. Um, but it's just kind of a classic scene yeah. where you basically are going down these alleyways, and everything is getting darker and more sinister and stranger, and then you hear sirens and get attacked by a bunch of creepy little gray children with knives uh and you get taken out and you wake up in like a cafe yeah you can't escape these babies so like of course you don't want to die in the game but like the first thing it makes you do is like get murdered by these children (laughs) yes like how fucked up is that anyways yeah and then you realize it was all a dream and you wake up in the cafe right well and just to say a couple more things about the intro what's really cool about it is that it lets you know right away like this isn't a normal game (laughs) you are not ready and it's going to do things that you don't expect because first of all yeah like you have to die to progress yeah second of all that has the wackiest craziest swinging camera in the whole game totally like the way the camera swings around wildly and the angles and the way everything is presented is super insane and yeah and there's no like HUD there's no mm-hmm. fucking UI like you're just out there and you have no idea what's going yeah. on I think it's you're just such following a good... this girl that you can barely see in the fog right it's yeah. such a good introduction to this game and just to let you know like what kind of game it is and where it's head yeah. is at another thing you have to mention is that you know we talked about this in the uh, other Silent Hill episodes but you can't escape the Jacob's Ladder homage just straight out of the gate it turns into Jacob's Ladder 
And, uh, you know, we're not going to harp on that like we did in previous episodes, but go watch Jacob's Ladder, you uncultured gamer swine. <laughs> Take a fucking bath. <laughs> oh. Crawl out of the basement. Oh, watch something Oh, my cool. God. Listen, you guys, I'm going to jump in here and just say that I appreciate you. I think you're great. Um, hey, you know what we didn't do? We didn't mention that uh, Zero Brightness is supported by our listeners. You can go to patreon.com slash zero brightness to help support the show and continue to let James make hot takes all the time. Pay me, you scum fucks. Also, Zero Brightness is a club, and you're a valued member of it. And hey, you know what? I think your hair looks good today. Uh, At the end of every episode, we tell you what games we're going to play next. So keep listening until you hear that Yoshi's Island music, and we'll tell you what games you can play with us because we like you and we want you to stick around. I say it with love. I say all of this with love. I know, but I just want to make sure people know that that there's a light. (laughs) I've been watching a lot of Queer Eye, and I'm feeling really positive. <laughs> Where is it then, James? Where is it? I can't feel it. Feels like it's gone. All right. Uh, anyway. Oh, the other the other announcement, the other public service announcement, is that if you do want to hear us harp about, on about Twin Peaks and Jacob's Ladder and some of the references that this game shares with Silent Hill 2, go check out that Silent Hill 2 episode, because... We break that down and Jinji Ito and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So it's our yeah. it's our most listened to episode also. Yeah. So if you're listening to this shit, you've probably already heard that one. But <laughs> yeah. you should go listen to that one also. We got a Silent Hill three episode also. And in the future, <laughs> yeah. four is coming. It's sitting on top of my PS2 right now. Dude, they're all coming. Like we're gonna get yeah. there. Eventually we're gonna have to go to fucking Japan and play the arcade. <laughs> Silent Hill the arcade. I'm looking at you, kid. It's behind. It is behind. Yeah, but totally. The Jacob's Ladder influence is really strong. Um, the other thing, too, throughout this game, I feel like, and I said this in the Silent Hill 2 episode, I feel like the Twin Peaks influence is a bit stronger in this game. Mm. With, like, the aesthetics have a little more of a kind of old school, small town look. There's a subplot about drug dealing. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's all these, these just the look and feel of the game gives me more of a Twin Peaks vibe, even than like two. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. So you wake up in the cafe and you're introduced to one of the only other characters in the game. Very small cast. Oh, you know. super small cast. Yeah. Um, but you're introduced to uh, Sybil, who's a cop. Not a very good cop. You know... I was trying to think of how to put that. I'm not going to say that she's not a good cop. I'm going to say that she's sort of like unconcerned for the safety of others. <laughs> and why is she in the situation anyways? Everyone else disappeared. Why is Sybil there? Yeah. Well, you know, her and the other, like, clearly, there's only one other clearly human character mm. in the game, which is uh, uh, Kaufman. Lloyd Kaufman or whatever yeah. his name is. and uh, Uncle Lloydie. <laughs> Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, it is a bit unclear why they're there. You could sort of extrapolate why he's there because he's kind of a bad boy. Yeah. Um, to me, that character actually reminds me a lot of the lawyer from Jurassic Park. Uh, <laughs> right? Yeah. 
but yeah, Sybil, it's it's unclear. We don't know why Sybil's there. And mm-hmm. it's never there aren't really any hints, I don't think, either. Yeah. It's kind Strange. of a, a mystery. Usually in a game from the nineties it would be because like you need female sex appeal, but she's just like a no bullshit cop kind of person. It's like she's not sexualized yeah. at all or anything. So no. yeah, it's interesting. Right. And she's sort of helping you look for your daughter, but not really. Not really. Yeah. And then there's a weird thing with the ending too, that we'll get to when we're there, but yeah, so, uh, yeah she's a weird character, not in and of herself, but just like trying to figure out why she's there, you know? Yeah. So, you know, once you wake up after Sybil leaves, you're kind of left by yourself in this cafe which you think is a safe space, but there's a radio on the table that starts acting up, right? And, mm-hmm. this, you know, th- this is how, like, a, a series-long tradition began. A monster busts through the window. Well, it's a fucking flying monster, too. Yeah. It's a great way for the game to just be like, fuck you, you're never safe. Yeah. So, you know, you kind of put two and two together and realize that this radio is going to go ape shit every time a bad guy's around. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's just, like, a long a long traditional gameplay mechanic that's kind of birthed here, which is also used in other games like fatal frame will use static sounds when a bad guy's around. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah. Lost in vivo also yeah. kind of just threw it in there. You know, one interesting thing too about the sound design in this game, specifically with the radio, we were talking about it in three. There's a very nuanced sort of sound design where like as there's more enemies, there's more tracks of like music yeah. and radio static and mm-hmm. stuff. This game has that too. Yeah. Um, very distinctly. It's like even less subtle than it is in three. And I am not sure if that was in two, but once again, it kind of feels like the graphics tech being as modest as it was in this game mm. made them really lean into the sound design. Oh and yeah, totally. The sound design throughout is great. Like the only bad thing I can say about it is that every enemy makes the same noise when they get hit or almost every enemy. Yeah. Which is like a little weird, but. And, and the initial radio static sound is incredibly grating. It almost sounds like yeah. a, like one of those old school, like school bells ringing, but like down <laughs> yeah. a long hallway, but in like the ring never stops. It's awful. You know, I actually liked that because of how fucking unnerving it was. It is I really thought unnerving. that same thing. I was like, God, that sounds like a school bell just ringing forever. It's, and it's a great match with like the air horn sirens that you hear when mm-hmm. the hell world comes around. Yeah. And some of the really spooky enemies, like it works really well with them. Like the little invisible children oh, yeah. are like super spooky and having that bell noise and like weird creepy invisible babies making quacking sounds speaking of scary invisible babies <laughs> <laughs> my new band that i just started yeah. come to their gig on tuesday they play at midnight <laughs> <laughs> um anyways so once you wake up for at the cafe uh and you leave uh, you go back to where you were like killed in your dream and mm-hmm. you find a piece of paper from your daughter's notebook saying, uh, like, go to school. So you decide to hoof it over to uh, Silent Hill Elementary right. to take a look around. And uh, Silent Hill Elementary, if you're not familiar, was lifted directly from the seminal Arnold Schwarzenegger film, Kindergarten Cop. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so this is kind of what I referenced earlier that. They were looking for models and references and things that would help them 
create an American town. Yeah. And so some of the things they ended up pulling from are really bizarre. But this is probably the weirdest. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is that the school is just the school from kindergarten cop one to one, including like the posters on the wall and like all this crazy shit, like the, the emergency signs and mm, the school bus. Yeah. People have gone through and cataloged this online and you can look it up and it's, it's truly incredible. Um, it's really obvious, but then at the same time, like who the hell discovered that? Like, I don't know. I wonder if they if if they said it in an interview or if people just figured it out. You know, I'm sure someone just happened to look at both things near to each other and then was just like, <laughs> "Man, it looks like the school in Silent Hill" or yeah, something like that. But maybe. I I truly love that because there's all sorts of bizarre like anecdotes about this. Like one that was great was uh, apparently like Sato, who did the character modeling and all that, like didn't know how to model white people's faces. <laughs> And so, like, really needed to look up a lot of references and was, like, kind of loosely basing, you know, characters on actors and stuff like that, which kind of continues throughout the series. Um, But, yeah, that's just a classic one. And going back and playing the game now, it's hard not to think, like, like, (laughs) it's not a tumor. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, in this game, it's definitely a tumor. Oh, yeah. You really should get that looked at. (laughs) (laughs) Um yeah, so the other thing, too, kind of that we referenced earlier is that the structure of this game is cool. It's very unrelenting. Mm-hmm. You basically get sent between different buildings and then out into the overworld. When you're in the overworld, you're running around and avoiding enemies, trying to find out where to go because all the streets are broken down or fenced off or just exploded. Yeah, yeah. Um, most of it. Most of it. I would recommend early in the game to go around and pillage everything in town. Because oh, there yeah. are a ton of health items and bullets everywhere. Um, yeah. You can even run into a police station and grab a bunch of stuff, and you can run into a gas twice. station. Yeah, twice. So uh, it's definitely worth pillaging uh, real early on. Like, r- right after you wake up from the cafe, you should go pillage the whole town. Yeah, absolutely. And this game, so it's a weird mix of being open-ended and being super linear. Because, like... When you're out in the open world, there really is only one place that you have to get to, like yeah. the next story place, yeah. but you can run around and do a lot of extra shit and it's really worth your time, like you said, to pillage everything, explore everywhere, get to know the map because initially the map kind of looks like a lot of gibberish. Yeah. Like there's all the stuff on there that like doesn't mean anything and you can't you can zoom in but you can't read anything better when you zoom in it's all just like blocky and pixelated (laughs) yeah but like there's there is a clear way that they mark places you can go into and there's at least like four places that you don't have to go to but going into them not only gets you extra items which makes the game way easier Mm -hmm. it also gets you extra story and plot info yeah that's super easy to miss and then uh, also there's a big one that determines whether or not you get the good ending of the game. Totally missable. Which is, uh, and, yeah. Uh, you know, even if you just walk too far and you trigger a certain cutscene, you can't go back and do it. So, yeah. Yeah. And like a- another thing about this game with like the multiple endings and the good endings and all that stuff it's kind of bullshit, like strategy guide bullshit <laughs> where like you sort of have to like, know what you're looking for to find it but 
a good chunk of it also is actually just exploration based and you can actually have a really cool experience with this game like not using a strategy guide but just being really like yeah exploration heavy sure and you'll find everything um some of the puzzles don't make any logical sense until the end of the game and you would have had to solve them earlier which we'll get yeah. to but those you'll you'll never figure them out on the first playthrough without a strategy guide or something and sure. uh yeah, there's some puzzles that are just super obtuse that we'll talk about when we get to those parts, but yeah. Yeah, but I think more just in general, I liked how the game really encourages you to explore everything mm-hmm. and look around, while at the same time kind of rushing you to the next place and also throwing a ton of enemies at you, so you don't want to linger and like hang out, but it, it just feels... It feels like it rewards exploration a little more and is maybe a little bit more open-ended than Silent Hill 2. Yeah. Like Silent Hill 2, because it's more relaxed and it is a little easier for the most part to just kind of wander around town, like it creates a different vibe, which is cool, but mm-hmm. it it definitely didn't feel like it rewarded exploration as much as this game does. So when you get to this school, shit ain't right. <laughs> little kids with knives. I don't think they have any clothes on. <laughs> All the teachers are named after Sonic Youth members. Yeah, I don't know what kind of school this is. <laughs> yeah. One thing, yeah, all the interior areas, there's a school and a hospital. All these areas are cool because they sort of have, they're sort of big puzzle boxes. Mm-hmm. And as you go through and solve them, everything just gets worse and worse and worse. <laughs> so like, yeah. when, when you first get into the school, it's like not great. Yeah. And then you solve the first half of it with the puzzles and then it's like horrible. Yeah. Well, let's, let's and, talk about some of these puzzles because okay. you can be really inquisitive and go into in kind of the secretary area and read some notes and the notes, you wouldn't notice this if you didn't know the puzzle, but the notes have a timestamp on them and then a room in the building to go to. Mm-hmm. And there's a clock tower outside. So you can go outside and see what time it is and then read the note and it'll tell you which room to go to to solve the next part of the puzzle. Some of these puzzles in the in the school are kind of like legendary or notorious. You have to get a medallion, but the medallion is being held by like a disembodied hand. You have to pour mm-hmm. acid on the hand to get the medallion. Uh, There's another puzzle where you have to stick a rubber ball in a drain to make a (laughs) key fall down into into the courtyard, which is super obtuse. And probably the worst is a piano puzzle where you have to read a poem about birds and figure out a sequence to play on the piano. You know, which I remember as a kid, I didn't know what the fuck that was talking about. Huh? Some of the birds are white and some of the birds are black, so you know which you know whether to play the black or white keys. And then uh, it, I don't know, it, it's a weird puzzle, and I don't like it. You know, that's funny because I totally disagree. Yeah, I actually love these puzzles. Uh, they're really wacky, <laughs> and I think that I like the puzzles in this game, except for the last area. Fuck that shit. Um, right. But everything up until the last area, I really like the puzzles because once again, along with the whole mixture of influences that this game is presenting you, like, you know, 90s horror movies, mm-hmm. 90s horror TV, like 
these uh, writers and all this stuff, like they're also kind of trying to align it with what they were viewing as like Western style influences. And so a big thing is like classic PC adventure games. Yeah, true. Uh, I just have a lot of childhood trauma about the bird puzzle. (laughs) Yeah. Like I just feel like these puzzles are all super like nineties PC adventure game style. Yeah. I think some of the like dumber ones, like the rubber ball one or the acid on the hand. I mean, you'll figure it out if you've played one of those games before and the solution to half of the puzzles is just try and use everything in your inventory. Try all the weird items. Yeah. Yeah. So like, and then the piano puzzle I think is just amazing. (laughs) I love that puzzle. The other thing is that this is a game that you have to have a pen and paper with you when you play it. Sure. Like there's no way to play this game without a pen and paper unless you want to get super frustrated and just look shit up. I mean, yeah. If you don't want to look shit up for most of the game until the end, you're going to have to look shit up in the last area because it makes no fucking sense. Like you can just have a pen and a pad and like sit there and just puzzle shit out. I think it's super cool. I love the school. And like I said, it's like a big puzzle box. It has a bunch of little puzzles and they all come together to form like two bigger puzzles and you have to solve them all. And oh man, I love all these puzzles because even like the <laughs> clock tower and the notes with the timestamps yeah. is like it's kind of wild because like you can look on your map and see that there's a clock tower yeah but like you have to be looking at your map for where to go next sure. you know you have to be like really like trying to figure shit out and then you're like oh there's a clock tower oh these have times on them i wonder what that means you know yeah alternatively you can just go to each classroom and explore every single nook and cranny of the school twice right so Well, and that's like also what you end up doing, which I think is also pretty cool because once again, like I said, like this game is really, to me, playing this game, enjoying it and like getting a good result is all about play style. It's Mm. like you have to be, in my opinion, you have to be in it to win it. Like you have to be (laughs) willing to go all the way in, explore everything, like get almost everything because it's a pretty small game, right? Sure. It's not like, oh, I'm going to 100%, you know, some 300-hour JRPG or whatever. It's like, <laughs> it's a fucking small game. It doesn't have that much shit. And so you have to be in it to win it. You have to be willing to go through everything twice, to be looking at everything, to have it a pen and a pad and, like, figure it out. And once you do it, it's really, really satisfying mm-hmm. because it's like a 90s PC adventure game, but just way, way, way fucking weirder and spookier. Once you solve these obtuse puzzles (laughs) yeah they are obtuse though don't get me wrong yeah yeah you get these medallions you plug them into the clock tower and you reveal a ladder and you go down the ladder and you're in this tiny little area with another ladder and you climb up the ladder and you're back at the school but it's hell now (laughs) (laughs) yep And so this also established the long running thing in the series, which is these sort of multiple layers of reality to Silent Hill. Mm -hmm. So there's kind of the the first layer, which is when people wake up, usually from a car crash or some sort of weird experience. And they're in this kind of gray, uh, sometimes ashen Mm -hmm. Silent Hill. And then there's a deeper layer where things are rusty and terrible and disgusting and there's a ton of enemies and the music is all fucked up yeah and 
that layer is interesting too because that can degrade and get worse as well. Yeah. And that's something that this game does really well, I think, that some of the other games don't il- illustrate quite as clearly or go as deep as that, like, that sort of under layer of Silent Hill can just, like, fall apart. Yeah. And, you know, it starts doing psychological things to you, like, things that are illogical, like, you walk into a restroom on the first floor and then you walk out of the you walk out of the door that you walked in and you're somewhere else and you know if you, if you, if you're inquisitive enough to look at your map you'll realize that you're on the second floor right. so it, it starts doing these things psychologically that make you like question what's going on in a way that eternal darkness tries to kind of do but is like cornier at uh, Silent Hill like nails hey, man, that feel. We're still like three episodes away from that. Don't start with me. <laughs> Just saying, Silent Hill did it better. The whole sanity. It's not even a mechanic. It's a Silent Hill. It's an aesthetic, right? So yeah, yeah. Well, and I think that this game does it in a really cool way. Once again, that the series doesn't really pick back up on, which is that it's so subtle. Yeah. Like I that door you're talking about. I went back and forth through it like four times before I was like. Oh shit. Yeah. Like what? You know, like there's some really cool subtle stuff like that and it's, it's easy to miss, but once you pick up on it, it's very, very cool. And I I don't really think the other games in the series did it like that. Like they would do similar things or have similar ideas, but they were just a lot more obvious, Mm -hmm. which is probably a choice. I mean, because it is kind of confusing and off putting. I mean, this game is very confusing and off putting, but in a cool way. Oh, totally. I think the next thing we should talk about is the first boss. Because the bosses in this game are just kind of strange to me. Um, like, I get wanting to have a boss. But, I mean, all I did... This this first boss is like a big lizard thing that splits its head open. And, you know, all I do is pull out my shotgun and shoot it seven times. And then it's over. I've said this before in other episodes. I'll say it again. Every boss battle... And every Silent Hill game is stupid and out of place. <laughs> they just suck. I don't understand why they're here. Yeah. Um, they're especially bad in this game. I think in the other Silent Hills, they're all relatively like easy. Mm. Um, in this game, they're not hard, but they're just like confusing and. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's like you said, you just shoot it a few times and you win. But in that time, because the controls are really wonky and like the combat is really wonky, like you're going to get hit and you're going to have to use healing items. So it's literally just like a checkpoint event to like eat up a bunch of your bullets and healing (laughs) items. Yeah, I don't know, man. Like, because I walked into the room, it played the cutscene, the lizard was in front of me. And I just pulled out my shotgun and shot it like seven times while walking backwards. It it never had a chance. Yeah, it never had <laughs> a chance. That's that's what you do with all the bosses, but they just get harder. So you need to, like I think felt for that fight, I probably had to use like one health drink. Yeah, and then for the next fight, I had to use a first aid kit. And the next fight, I had to use like two first aid kits. And then like <laughs> the last boss is the only one. The last boss who is like total bullshit. Yeah, is like the only one that you actually have to like know what to do to beat and what you have to do is so fucking stupid that it's like ridiculous you basically have to do something that you haven't done ever in the game and it breaks the game and then that's how you win (laughs) there's a there's a couple other ways to break the game that i want to mention later too (laughs) 
sure. <laughs> but it's just, yeah, like I'm always gonna just dog on the boss battles in Silent Hill games because they're just so fucking dumb. Yeah, it's weird. And like, even like when they make them less, you know, less present in the game, they still throw like a final boss at you, and it's like. Dude, it's so dumb. I'm always <laughs> going to just shit on those. As much as I love these games, as much as I'll praise these games up and down, like, dude, fuck the boss battles in all these games. Last boss is like a Danzig album cover or something. <laughs> that you have to circle strafe. Yeah. Can you fucking believe... Like, I was... I tried a bunch of times, and I kept dying, and it lets you, like, kind of checkpoint, which yeah. is weird. Like, it's the only thing that you can just, like, checkpoint into when you die. Uh, and, like... So I just looked up. I'm like, how are you supposed to fucking beat this thing? And it's like, oh, yeah, there's a three button combo to hold to circle strafe. Yeah. After yeah. you beat the boss, everything's fine again. You're in the not scary school and you can uh, oh. just kind of like chill and walk around and look at all the kindergarten cop references. Yeah. And one thing that's really cool about that is I think that this game's, you know, aesthetic being so dark and the darkness being so prevalent in this game like we mentioned earlier it makes those transitions out of the hell world so cool because they're so stark like when it goes back to being the like sort of gray school yeah it's crazy yeah i couldn't believe it it was almost like it was like I had to like blink, you know, because it was suddenly so bright. It's like that meme I reference every episode of the guy washing his <laughs> own face. face. <laughs> Dude, that's your favorite meme. It's official. It's a good meme. Um, Anyways, you f- you find the key to Kim Gordon's house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you hoof it to Kim Gordon's house. Luckily, you can raid her fridge and get a couple snacks. Yeah. <laughs> She's not home. She's probably divorcing Thurston or something. <laughs> yeah. Thirsty more over Thirsty there getting more. his ass divorced. Uh, God damn it, Thirsty. But, Why'd you have to do that? Why'd you got to do me like that, Thirsty? Speaking of being thirsty, though, she did leave you a few health drinks out. So yeah, she got your back, you know. Yeah, we're, we're eating the center sandwich out of the fridge. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, one thing we didn't mention while you're at the school after Hellworld, you hear church bells in the distance. Yeah. So you run over the church and you meet a very nice lady. <laughs> yeah. So you meet Dahlia. Yeah. And who, she was expecting you because yeah. through gyromancy, she had a vision that you were coming. Yeah. She's like a sort of new age, witch kind of crystals and stuff. So I, I had to look up what gyromancy was. Uh-huh. And it's when you spin around in a circle and you get visions. Kind of like yeah. uh, the whirling dervishes. Yeah, crystals and stuff, dude. <laughs> so Dahlia is like this character who is recurring throughout the game who is really weird. She pops up and gives you... I don't know. She just says stuff to you and she says a lot of stuff. <laughs> she says things at you. Yeah, she says things at you, and sometimes it feels like she's giving you advice or telling you where to go, but a lot of the time, she's sort of just saying weird stuff. She's super not encouraging. Like, she after this, she keeps telling you you're too late or you yeah. didn't do it right. Harry just keeps responding with this Hank Hill, <laughs> What? What? Who, who are you? What is this? Agalothopolis. Get off of my lawn. What? <laughs> yeah. So one thing about Dahlia is that I think the first couple times I played this game when I was a kid, 
And this plot made no fucking sense to me. And I had no idea what was going on. And I felt like Harry Mason. And I think it's largely in retrospect because of Dahlia. Cause mm. like everything she does and says is just fucking gobbledygook. <laughs> and so apparently this game was translated by the same people who did the notoriously bad uh, Final Fantasy VII translation. Perfect. Which I think kind of explains some of the like hacky dialogue and especially in Dahlia's case, like some of the fucking shit that comes out of her mouth. Like it would be weird regardless because she's talking about demons and gyromancy and shit, but it's like Mm -hmm. very weird because I think it's also like very clunkily translated. Yeah. She's a, she's a hard sell man. But (laughs) another thing though too, is that I do think in the plot, she's actually a really cool character, especially once you kind of get to the twist later. Um, I think that she's one of the things they kind of fucked up in the movie because in the movie they sort of split her into two characters yeah so there's one that's like a super evil character and one that's like a super sad sympathetic character right and dolly is more in the game is more like a combination of the both like she's kind of a she's sort of just like the dumpster creature from mulholland drive but <laughs> she's exactly the dumpster creature from mulholland drive <laughs> but she's also like a human and and can speak and and things so there, there's some sort of pathos there uh but she, she's an interesting character but uh, i will say the church has my favorite item description in the game <laughs> which is where you can go up to like a, a plinth that has like a bible on it and if you press x it just says bible <laughs> so uh yes uh you know like what two decades before press x to jason or press f to pay respects we got press x to bible (laughs) um no thank you no no thanks but uh (laughs) you know she also in her sort of insane uh ramble of words gives you a flowros which you're just supposed to know what that is the cage of peace (laughs) yeah so after that you get to lower the drawbridge and go to the other half of Silent Hill. The Genesis P. Orridge Bridge. Right, exactly. And then you go to Central Silent Hill, which is where the street names get even more obvious. Like, that's where we got Crichton, Koontz, and Sagan all hanging out. Are you kidding me? Even though you unlock a different part of town, I feel like the game from this point forward has a pretty linear track, even more than the beginning of the game. Well, after you finish this like next segment, you actually get some fast travel that you can't control. Yeah. The game just starts randomly warping you at times. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't want you to... I don't know if it's a quality of life thing. Like, we don't want to waste your time because there's no new stuff around town. So we're just going to warp you to the next spot you need to go or, or what. But yeah. I mean, I ain't complaining. Sure. But. Yeah. Unless you're going to open up a couple new stores or something that I can pillage. But they didn't, so... Yeah, it's it's a pretty interesting choice. Uh, I definitely could have done with a little bit of that in like the middle part of Silent Hill 2, mm. where you're just wandering around a lot. Yeah. I do like the wandering, though. Um, and 3 doesn't have any wandering. So I kind of miss yeah. the wandering in 3. Um, yeah. I mean, the wandering is... It is what it is. It's a cool part of the game, but yeah. it, can be, it can be a little bit annoying. Yeah, it could drag. I think it's just more of an aesthetic thing. You know, a mood, yeah. a mood setting... Thing. So once you're in the other part of Silent Hill, 
you're basically just headed to the hospital. <laughs> yes. Iconic, classic. It's been in moment. every single Silent Hill run. Yeah, it, for sure. You can't do a Silent Hill without a hospital. Right. You can do one without a school. You can do one without a subway. Mm-hmm. You can't do one without a hospital. Right. And this one's a little different because they're not sexy nurses. They're regular nurses. Yeah. You know, I actually really liked the the hospital enemies in this game compared to the other games. Yeah. Like, they're not sexy and they're a little bit weirder and creepier. Like, they make gross noises. Yeah. They do moan a lot. Yeah. They're slow until they're fast, yeah. which is kind of cool. Like, that's sort of what they did with the other ones where they they are still until you move and then they move at you. But in this one, it's a lot more unpredictable. Like, yeah. they'll just not do anything and then suddenly they'll run up to you. They have, like, weird growths on their back, like parasites. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a, There's a big theme of, like, parasites in this game that doesn't come back in the other games either interesting yeah because there's roaches too yeah there's roaches there's parasites there's a story thing with that later where a character like barfs up a parasite um it's it's weird there's a lot of stuff in this game that doesn't come back in other games i guess is what i'm trying to say so it's it's in contrast to how i open that this episode by saying that it has a lot of what would later become definitive in the series it also has all these little elements that just don't come back yeah yeah like, also side note fuck the roach enemies yeah holy shit also just the dumb the, those monkey men uh oh my god the monkey men that are roaming around town after you get to a certain point boy god yeah the stupid monkey i mean most of the enemies in this game suck side note in the game files there are a bunch of unused bad guys there's like seven of them Oh, crazy. Yeah. It was interesting. I saw that in a in a YouTube video the other day. Nice. Yeah. Could have swapped some of those out for those fucking monkey men. Yeah, the monkey men are cray cray. So they're basically these really goofy looking, like, they kind of look like giant sloths, maybe. They're grown man-sized, but they're kind of like on the ground on all fours. Right. And they jump around after you, and if they catch you, they tackle you. Yeah. And they're so fucking annoying. Just run. Just... Yeah, but then even sometimes they can catch up to you. I don't, oh, I don't mess with no monkey men. <laughs> I, don't, I don't fuck around with no monkey men. <laughs> um, yeah, so the hospital has a really cool vibe. Uh, um, I like the enemies. I like the look of it. Once again, it's got a much older, almost like 40s, 50s mm, look to it. A lot of tile. A lot of tile. A lot of grout. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of grout yeah. to get dirty. Yeah, and this area too has some really cool cutscenes. Like there's little totally. CG cutscenes throughout this whole game, but um, they all are really cool, especially considering they're made by one guy in like 1998, which is nuts. Yeah, they're pretty. They're pretty good for once you know that backstory. It's super impressive that one guy made all of those. Yeah, they have a heavy aesthetic and they have, the characters are very expressive in them, which I think is really cool, especially yeah. for the time. Um, but this one, uh, early in this area, you meet uh, Lisa. Mm-hmm. And you meet Dr. Kaufman. And you meet Dr. Kaufman yeah. here. Um, and both of them have really, really cool sort of dark, moody little CG inserts that introduce their characters and they're really really cool the way you meet dr kaufman is hilarious because you just you know you just walk through a door because you know it's silent hill and 
this dude's pointing a gun in your face and you're like, no, don't shoot. And he <laughs> shoots anyways and he misses you. Which is like, you know what? It's like the first of three times that somebody just fires a gun off at you at point blank and misses. Like, okay, two questions yeah. here. Number one, why are all y'all crazy motherfuckers firing guns off point blank at people who you just like don't even know what they are? And number two, how are you missing? Right. It, it, yeah, it, that just caught me as like pretty disturbing. Like, yeah like, but also shit. side note deep fan theory uh mm. harry mason's bulletproof because <laughs> yeah, none mean, of the enemies shoot bullets at you dude those energy drinks are really good <laughs> just saying yeah we ain't talking to a monster we ain't talking to a rock star we're talking ancient chinese secret motherfucker <laughs> this shit is real dude indeed so yeah you meet dr kaufman he's a shady character yeah. You can tell he's a piece of shit. Yeah. And then, you know, later on, after you solve some puzzles and you unlock a door, you meet Lisa. Mm-hmm. And she's just as confused as anyone else. She's locked herself in this room and, like, hiding under a gurney or something. Mm-hmm. And she seems to, like, at first be the only other sane person you've met so far. But she's got, like, a history of, like, doing drugs on the clock. <laughs> so she's yeah. got this like sordid backstory but she's like the most sympathetic character yeah for sure and she's actually really cool like the way you meet her is really unsettling because yeah. her her little cg cutscene is really creepy and she just like runs out from under this gurney and hugs you and like she doesn't even know who the fuck you are and she's constantly trying to get you to like stay with her there's something unsettling about her yeah that's really cool and yeah, later you kind of find out more about her. That's cool. But before that, you kind of start having these like visions where something will happen and you'll kind of black out and you'll have a dream where you're talking to her. Right. Yeah. Back in that room. Back in that same room. And those start in this area and then continue throughout the game, which are really cool. That's um, very Twin Peaksy. Very Twin Peaksy. Yeah. That's like another big Twin Peaks reference. Uh, and this game plays around with that a lot. There's even a point not long after the uh, the hospital area where Harry wonders aloud, like, am I just dreaming? Like, is this all real? Like, what the fuck is going on? And yeah. between, like, the doors warping you to different floors of buildings and him constantly sort of returning to this one room to talk to Lisa and the changing state of Silent Hill and how little context you have in the game it actually makes a compelling case for like what the fuck is going on? You know, (laughs) it's the one reason why Harry's continued repetition of what, what is that? (laughs) Who is that? And all those type of lines isn't as grating as it could be because you're actually also thinking the same thing if you've never played this game before. Yeah. So another big plot point that happens in the hospital is that you go into uh, Dr. Kaufman's office and behind his desk is a, broken bottle with a bunch of red juice all over the floor. One of the most obtuse puzzles in the game, which I would doubt that anybody would solve this on their first playthrough of the game without a guide. Uh You actually have to go into the kitchen, grab a plastic bottle, go to that spill and put some of the red juice into the bottle. And this (laughs) is going to help you several hours later in the game. 
Yeah. I mean, I actually did do that without knowing what it was or what it was really? for, but like knowing when and how to use it is totally like you'd have to be told or have played the game once and put it together from like the last cutscene or right. one of the last cutscenes. Yeah. You know, cause it does happen. It kind of shows you, but so if you haven't played the game, grab the red juice. Grab that red juice, dude. But it's like a spill on the floor. Like, how is he getting so much juice in that bottle? <laughs> I know. I thought the same thing. Is he like picking up the carpet and like squeezing it out? <laughs> you know, I thought the same thing because it's obviously he just kneels down and then it just says like, you got the stuff. <laughs> but it's like, I was like, wait, hold on. Does he have a suction system? Is he wringing out the carpet? Is he dabbing <laughs> it with something and then ringing? Like, what? what's going on? You know? Anyways, another big plot point here at the end of this section is that Dahlia, you know, once again visits you and gives you some more random nonsense exposition and tells you that you're bad at the game. (laughs) But she kind of hints that there's some sort of strange conspiracy going on. Uh, Like someone is using this mark of Simail to destroy the town or summon something. And there's another church like a dark church and you have to go find it. Um, it's all very, very vague. So once again, this is another like nice tick in the, in the uh, column of, is this all just a weird dream you're having? Cause like the dumpster monster from Mulholland drive is telling you to go to the dark church. It's like, yeah, I'm definitely dreaming. So we decide to head over to the antique store. Right. I love going to the antique store. <laughs> yeah. That's a good, it's a nice antique store. Yeah, in this antique store, you just find a secret passage, um, but you also find Sybil. Sybil shows up, and you kind of go together to explore this passage, but then you disappear. Yeah, and I think this is the point where you have a vision of talking to Lisa. Uh, And so once you wake up from that, you, you have to make your way back to the hospital. However, as you find and have found throughout the game, you're in like another version of the town. Everything's different. Mm-hmm. All the streets now are like fences or grates, kind of. It's super pitch black. Um, and so the only way you're going to get through is if you go to the mall. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You have to go to the mall, which is a very, very Jacob's Ladder style area that also has some cool, kind of weird scares. Like there's a TV screens that come on and show you a little scene that's actually really cool yeah the wall of tvs is a real cool aesthetic choice yeah for sure it was one of those things that kind of like stuck in my mind while playing the game yeah it looks like really good like it's weird for a second you're like am i still playing a ps1 game like this is actually fucking cool as shit but anyways you fall into the basement of the mall and you're quickly reminded that you're playing a ps1 game (laughs) (laughs) because Uh, a caterpillar comes out of the ground and you have to fight the caterpillar. Yeah. And it's it's another dumb boss fight. Real dumb. It's, it's dumber than the first one. Well, and then here's the thing is that very quickly after this, like after this boss fight, you go out back in the streets and making your way somewhere else, blah, blah, blah. You have to, you do another fucking boss fight and they're both like the same. Yeah. Well, you're fighting the moth, which is clearly the caterpillar that like quickly grew into a moth. Yeah. So like, and oh my god, they're so stupid. Why are you fighting moth? Is it because Mothra? Is it because Japan? <laughs> I mean, that's Do dope, I guess. Moths? But whatever. <laughs> Do you have? Are you racist against moths? Like, what the fuck, bro? 
No, just, the bosses suck in this game. Mobs are cool. <laughs> no, I'm saying Harry. Harry's got a problem with mobs. He needs to look inside himself to like figure it out. I wonder if like Harry emanates a bunch of light and the moth is just like wanting to hang out with this like running lamp. <laughs> hey, man. Hey. <laughs> yeah, you have a fucking flashlight taped in front of your vest and you're like, why does this giant moth want to hang out? Oh, wow. I never uh, thought about like turning the flashlight off to see if the moth would go away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that would be hilarious if that worked yeah because that would see, totally just leave him alone if this game was made now yeah it'd have that and loot boxes <laughs> <laughs> i would love for it to become a like a two-player co-op game where you become friends with the moth and player two yeah, is the yeah. moth yeah silent hill young moths it's gonna be cool man <laughs> um so the cool part of this section of the game is that you can go to the police station and you get a little bit more backstory on what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's been some references earlier than this, that there's like a cult in town and they basically took over the town of silent Hill. Right. And now we're sort of starting to find out that this cult may also be creating and disseminating a drug. But so they're, they're like, it's like a hallucinogen that, they are creating and disseminating. So it's like a cult that operates in the background of the town, but also controls the town and is like getting everybody hooked on this crazy hallucinogen. Yeah. And also just murders people who get in their way. Like uh, officer Gucci, who obviously had an (laughs) impeccable taste and style. Um, but later you find out that they like murdered the mayor. Yeah. That's just kind of tossed out there casually. It's like they fucking murdered the mayor. That's fucking nuts. Yeah. And you, you get a lot of this side story from this optional part where you go explore, uh, a motel and a bar, which you Mm -hmm. can totally miss, but you get a lot of the backstory from Kaufman. If you walk into this bar before you progress too far into the game, you save Kaufman's life because there's a monster that jumped on him. Yeah. You get rid of this monster. Kaufman acts all shady. He splits and you go to his motel room. And so you're exploring the motel. You notice a motorcycle. For some reason, you open the motorcycle's gas tank, just like in Deadly Premonition. Yeah. And you find a bunch of drugs in there. And previously you had found a bunch of drugs at the hospital. So you're thinking like maybe Kaufman has to do with all this. And again, mm-hmm. Kaufman pulls a fucking gun on you and tells you to hand over the drugs you found in the motorcycle. Right. So, yeah, we know there's this whole drug trafficking thing. It's tied to the cult. It's tied to Kaufman. It's tied to Lisa. Yeah, it's tied to Lisa because she does the drugs. But Kaufman is was basically like the go-between um, for like delivering drugs because like you find notes in like this uh the store that are like oh they're doing the because you find the drugs in a safe and you find the notes that they're you know doing the deliveries Mm -hmm. to the back entrance of this motel and that's where kaufman's room is because you got his key off of him it's pretty crazy i like this bit of side story and they never really do it in the other games no totally once again it's another note that doesn't come back in these games it also ties into what i was saying earlier about play style where it's like that's actually one thing that it is missable but you will definitely find it if you've been exploring everything and paying attention because every location you have to go to to unlock all those bits of story are all marked on the map as places you can go yeah but it's not clear right you know 
You just have to know what they look like on the map. It also kind of insinuates this line of thought that like everybody in town was influenced by this like drug that changed the psychosphere of the town and made it possible for all these things to come through. Right. So it's sort of like Lovecraftian and like mind bending in a way. Yeah, totally. And it also has an interesting component of it's referenced, I think, later in the game that Silent Hill was just like this little town that had this history of like dark arts and occult worship. Yeah. And at some point, like it got turned into a resort town. And so it was like totally at odds with the history of the town and the cult kind of fought back by turning everyone into crazy devil worshiping drug addicts. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. I mean, everyone's, you know, dealing with gentrification right now. Maybe that's how we fight back. I don't know. Uh, hail Satan, but (laughs) it's the opposite of the crack epidemic. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Hey y'all. Thanks so much for listening to the zero brightness podcast. If you want to support us, the most direct ways are at our Patreon, which is at patreon.com slash zero brightness. You can also give us a rating on the service of your choice. I know Apple's super into that. And when you leave a rating, you can also leave us a suggestion for a future episode topic. You can also follow us on Facebook as well as Instagram. We're at Zero Brightness Pod. You can also shoot us an email with thoughts, comments, whatever at Zero Brightness Podcast at gmail.com. It's been really cool interacting with people and sharing thoughts on Facebook and Reddit. So hoping to hear from you guys more directly in the future. Okay. Enjoy the rest of the episode. So it's, it's actually a really crazy story. It's also once again, very twin peaksy. Um, we don't, you know, like the sort of small town with a CD drug running underbelly. It's something that doesn't figure into any of the other games. Um, and it's also kind of cool in that way because this whole game ultimately is kind of like the backstory of Silent Hill itself and of Cheryl and Alessa, um, which also at this point we've been getting these little hints about this girl and seeing this. Well, she's mm-hmm. kind of indeterminate age. She's not as young as your daughter, Cheryl, but she's also like, um, she's not like maybe fully grown. Yeah. Um, she had a room in the hospital, but it yep. was in the basement. Right. She had like a secret room in the hospital. Yeah. Um, so we're starting to get these hints and things about Alessa. And we know that like there's something with the cult and Dahlia and Alessa. And so the whole game is sort of the backstory of them and the backstory of the town. So those elements, it's sort of interesting that they don't come back in the other games. But yeah, um, it's just cool to see them, you know. Yeah, I kind of like how the town of Silent Hill kind of like morphs to people's personal experiences like in two with James's story like two and the other characters like everybody was drawn to Silent Hill by this like psychic force you know you know James's personal backstory all the other minor characters were drawn to it and then sometimes Silent Hill seeps out like in in the room it's I've read over like a thousand pages of Junji Ito this summer, and it reminds me like so much of like Uzumaki. How the different chapters in Uzumaki it kind of sort of resets different things because I I think the chapters were published at different times or something like that. Yeah, it was serially published originally. Yeah, it feels like the sequels to Silent Hill because it, it changes things 
or, or like m- more so like Tomie because Tomie, you know, if you know anything about Tomie, it's about this girl that gets murdered over and over. Every iteration of Tomie is like like a different story, but it's all tied into like this one long thread. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, and he, okay, here's a little sideline into some <laughs> Silent Hill lore because I was actually really fascinated by this. I mean, for years, once again, I haven't haven't played this game again, even though I played it a ton back in the day. And to me, a lot of times the original Silent Hill kind of felt like weird compared to the other games because of all the differences. Hmm. And it felt strange that it almost didn't fit in with the rest of the Silent Hill lore in some certain <laughs> yeah. ways, right? But coming back to it now, it actually feels really, really cohesive with the other games. The reason being that I think that, like I said, this game is the backstory of Silent Hill. And there's certain things that would make it clearly very, very different for Harry Mason uh, Mm -hmm. than it would like for the people coming to town later. And because of that, like the things that happened to him and the way that he experiences all this stuff like would be very, very different. I don't know if I want to talk about it quite yet because I feel like we need to talk about the ending Yeah. before we get into that. But it, it actually was like really startling to me where I was like, oh my God, this totally makes sense now. Whereas in the past, I kind of felt like one was its own thing and then two was like a mulligan of one and then three and four were spinoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Which, I mean, it's, that's not exactly wrong, right? Because like... <laughs> I mean, there's certain elements of two that are so, so, so similar to one that it's like, this isn't just a reference. Like, it's almost like they wanted to do it again. But I think that replaying it now, it definitely feels like it actually fits in with the lore, which is really, really cool. I like this game a lot, and I guess we'll talk about that at the end. But anyways, you know, after this optional thing, the game becomes ultra linear basically until the end. You're led towards the pier, go to a boathouse, you see Sybil again. You run up to the lighthouse trying to you know, save your daughter and she gets snatched away at the last second, of course. Mm-hmm. And so it's time to go to the iconic amusement park, right? <laughs> uh, which is fucked up and dark and scary. Um, yeah. Everything is spread out in the amusement park. So you mm. never, ever have your bearings. You don't get a map. You don't get a map. And the darkness is just so pervasive. It's just, oh, it's so unnerving great yeah aesthetically just great yeah Um, it's so cool and it's it's cool because it's like you're lost but there isn't like a huge consequence to being lost like there is some in some of the the free roaming town sections yeah it's sort of like you're just meant to be lost and scared and confused and it's (laughs) just super dark and you'll find your way eventually because there's just a ton of dead ends and it's also I don't know. It's almost like a big circle or something. So I don't know what it's shaped like, to be honest. I know. Oh, I don't really know either. I'm just sort of guessing. <laughs> yeah. It feels that way because it feels like, well, if you just keep running, you just sort of end up where you're supposed to be. Yeah. But you'll hit a bunch of dead ends and you'll get lost and you'll kind of get panicky. But, you know, it's cool. It's a very, very cool section of the game. Yeah. And, you know, one of the coolest scenes from the game is next is at the amusement park, you uh, fight Sybil on the merry-go-round because Sybil has been corrupted by evil. So this is one of the big turning points in the game. I mean, you'd, you'd never know to do this, but if you use some of that red Kool-Aid from Dr. Kaufman's office on her, you don't have mm-hmm. to kill her. Yeah, so, like I said earlier, the way that you get like the best ending 
part of it is that you save Kaufman and do that whole side quest. And that's cool because you will find that naturally if you've been exploring everything and being very proactive about exploration. Right. This one is just kind of dumb. Like, I guess if if you didn't use a guide, but you'd played the game once before, you see Kaufman do something similar in a, like a later cutscene, and maybe you would intuit to do that. But it's also really hard to do. Like, even if you know what to do, it's really hard to get it to take because you have to run up really yeah. close to her and then use it. <laughs> yeah, and exactly. It's kind of like everything in this game. So, like, we didn't really talk about it, but the controls in this game, they're not like... They're tank, but they're not like super tank controls. Yeah, like they're they only got in my way a few times. Yeah, so they're not bad, but like you're, they're just not super precise. Um, and the one thing that is bad is a lot of the like, like hit, not like hit detection, but like like picking up items. The detection for it yeah. like isn't great. Yeah. So you'll be running around a thing that you're trying to pick up or like a save point you're trying to use just over and over trying to grab it. And this was kind of that way, except even more frustrating because you're running around like a boss who, if they hit you, can do a ton of damage. She's got a fucking magnum or something because if she hits you, she just shaves off your health. Yeah, totally. So there's a couple fun things about this fight. If you just run from her for a long time and just leave her be and just stay out of her line of sight, she'll actually get on one of the horses the merry-go-round <laughs> until you approach her again. Yeah, and super funny. There's also a glitch known right before the fight. If you use the red juice on a bad guy, the game will glitch the fuck out. And oh. it's like a 50-50 chance if the game will crash or not. But if the game doesn't crash, it skips the fight. Oh, crazy. Yeah, it's really weird. You should watch it on YouTube. Yeah, that's cool. And Anyways, one of the coolest aesthetic scenes of the game is if you don't kill her, there's a really cool like sort of like cinema scene where she's just talking in a monologue to Harry and the, the camera is static and the, the merry go around is spinning. It's hard to describe, but it's just a really cool kind of like hypnotic scene with her monologue. Yeah. It's really, it's, it's one of the coolest like cinematic moments of the game. So that scene you're talking about is really cool. I agree. And it's also where Harry reveals some more backstory on himself. Mm hmm. Which is that uh, his daughter, Cheryl, who disappeared and who he's looking for, uh, was adopted. They found her on the side of the road, which is kind of wild, kind of out of pocket there, Harry. And it's it's also weird because it kind of sounds like he's talking about a pet because he was like, well, my wife was dying and, you know, yeah. she want, wanted to make her feel better. So I got her a baby. <laughs> but it is cool it's a it's a cool scene i don't want to shit all over it it's cool but yeah so that's kind of interesting and the gears are turning in your head and then you have a short scene where uh you basically have a confrontation with alessa and this is a, a point where i want to bring up something that's kind of crazy in this game is that alessa is a character that you don't really know much about if you haven't played the game before right um it's weird to go back and play this game knowing the whole backstory yeah. and the story and knowing who Alessa is because it gets really confusing because you have these visions like sometimes you see cheryl and sometimes you see alessa and they look the same you know and if you know the plot it's like oh yeah okay but if you don't it's like man this game is the foreshadowing and the staging of that whole, you know, dichotomy is actually really cool. Yeah, totally. And so like that scene that I'm talking about, you don't 
totally know it's Alessa until like Dahlia kind of walks in and tells Alessa that her game, her little game is over, which Jesus Christ, Dahlia, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's a weird scene where it's kind of like a fight, but then your uh, Flowros goes off and uh, you're kind of like swallowed up in a classic fade to white. Isn't this where you uh, wake up by Lisa? Yes. Mm. Yep. And this is sort of a, another really creepy scene uh, that's sort of infamous in the game. Where uh, you're hugging Lisa and she doesn't want you to leave. And then she starts bleeding from the head profusely. <laughs> and she can't stop bleeding and she's just got blood all over her. And yeah. Harry doesn't know what to do. So he runs out of the room and shuts the door behind her. Yeah, and she's like banging on the door, begging him not yeah. to leave, and he leaves her there. Yeah, it's super dark and sad. Very scene. creepy. Yeah, it's really cool in and of itself. I also think it's cool in that it sort of foreshadows more of the emotional tone of like the next game. Yeah, you know, like that scene feels very, very Silent Hill SH2. too. Yeah, love the scene. It's a great scene. Yeah, and so. This kind of brings us to nowhere, the last stretch of the game. And, right. And boy, is it fucked up. Yeah, so there's a couple sections of this game that I fucking hate. Um, the first is one that we totally skipped over because it's not worth talking about. It's the sewers. Yeah, at my notes right here, I have one line and it says, all the dumb sewer shit. Like, <laughs> yeah. The sewer sucks. No one likes sewers in games. I was going to say, like, I don't even know what to say about it. I mean, it's like, hey, listener. Do you have a game you love that has a great sewer level? Like, no, you don't. I mean, if you do, tell me. I want to. Yeah. I want to go play this game that has these fucking baller sewer levels, but I don't. I don't think it exists. They haven't made a Chud game yet. <laughs> yeah, the Chud game would be cool, but. Uh, so, beyond that section, which I mean, it's just like confusing and it doesn't look cool and it's full of enemies. This section is kind of the same. You don't get a map. You get teleported around a lot by doors. Everything looks the same. There's there's way too many enemies and enemies. They don't like respawn, but they get placed more as the section goes on. So there's like there's a room with a faucet in it that like the first time you go in, there's no enemies. Then once you solve the puzzle, like if you accidentally go back there again, there's suddenly three nurses in there who will just run at you. Yeah. So Um, I, I got a few tips for nowhere. One, open a fucking web browser and look up a map. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because the map will help you so much. I got so lost in Nowhere. Uh, it was yeah. super frustrating. Anyways, For sure. Nowhere is built around... Uh, it's it's a hodgepodge of parts of buildings from around the game. Right. So you get some of the hospital, some of the school, a little bit of everything. Yeah. And the cool part of this area, which also kind of leads into the last scene and giving you the rest of the story, are the little bits of context that tell start to tell you Alessa's story. Right. Yeah. Which so one thing about this game is once again, if you've played the rest of the series and you've watched the movie and you've thought about all this stuff and blah blah blah, like you know Alessa's story. You know what happened to Alessa. And the one thing that the movie does super, super well is like 
the part where they tell you all of Alessa's backstory. Yeah. It's like yeah. insanely well done. Even yeah. just like aesthetically and the way it's structured and the tone and everything, blah, blah. It's great. But um, if you haven't seen that, just look up that scene on YouTube. I'm sure it's on there and <laughs> it's, it's great. Like it's worth watching. But I mean, just watch the movie. It's not a great movie. I mean, it's worth 90 minutes though. I like it. Uh, but so this game though it does it in such a unique way it's so vague and weird yeah but you do get all these visions you get you see like apparitions of like scenes happening in front of you as you explore you know this disjointed version of the hospital right so like the first one i think that you see that i thought was really really cool was there's like a classroom that's empty except for one desk and it's the same classroom that you've seen in the game over and over and over back in the school area except there's only one desk in the center of the room and it has like insults scratched into it Mm -hmm. and then another room you find is like alessa hiding under a desk crying but the room is like covered in crazy graffiti like floor to ceiling yeah um and then like later you find her bedroom which is the portal to the end of the game yeah just like silent hill 3 yeah so yeah it it was cool you know because we played silent hill 3 a couple months ago for an earlier episode um you know the last thing you do is walk through this room it's cool to see like a demake of that room in in part one yeah. Like a lower poly version of the same room. Right. But you do sort of start to piece together that it's like, okay, like something really, really bad happened to Alessa. She was clearly ostracized by the town and like picked on. And then mm-hmm. you also get to like watch the VHS tape that you found earlier in full and see that like Lisa was her nurse. Right. And that she was covered in really, really bad. Uh, Alessa was covered in really, really bad burns that were like mysterious, maybe supernatural in nature because mm-hmm. like they just wouldn't stop bleeding and they were just sort of like permanent burns. Yeah. And it was so Which, traumatic for Lisa to take care of her that she turned to drugs. Yeah. And she got addicted to psychic TV. Yeah. I mean,. Good band. I, I don't blame her, but yeah, happens to the best of us. But yeah, apparently, you know, Kaufman was in on it, so they put a special room for her in the basement, so where it would, it would be some sort of big secret, since this cult controls the entire town. But apparently, something went fucked up because everyone's missing, and the town is hell now. Right. Another note about Lisa and her connection to that story that's really cool is that she says in that scene you referenced earlier that like. She's just another apparition stuck in this hell world, but she didn't realize it until that scene. Mm, Yeah. Um, Which is really cool. And it's kind of like her sort of like almost like her punishment for like being part of the scheme, even though she's a relatively innocent character was just like being stuck in there, but then she didn't even know it. And then she sort of became this like monster because of it. Um, But she gets hers. She gets hers later. (laughs) <laughs> she gonna get so, it. After you kind of you're piecing together these things, um, once you pass the final door, you're in Alessa and Dahlia's house. Dahlia is 
Alessa's mother, and she's a cultist. She's a member of this cult, which is not what she said earlier. She was very creepy and misleading to you earlier. Yeah. And made it seem like she was actually like fighting the cult or that the cult was trying to do bad things. And she was telling you about this like mark of Samael that you had to stop, which is not true. None of that was true. Um, <laughs> it turns out that Dahlia is just fucking nuts. And she actually wanted to use the power that Alessa clearly possessed to summon something to like take over the town. It's kind of vague, mm -hmm. right? But you see a scene of her like dragging her daughter on the floor, um, which is a really weird. Yeah, that's like, a disturbing. creepy scene. Yeah. Yeah. And kind of is just being really weird and abusive. Um, and then you go through and you enter sort of like the final confrontation where you find out even more crazy backstory, <laughs> which is that Alessa uh, was, well, actually, you know, you see another scene before that, sorry, when you're still in the house where it's like a bunch of people standing around Alessa's hospital bed. Mm -hmm. And they're talking about how whatever they were trying to do with her didn't work and that she split her soul. So she's sort of like half alive, just stuck in this hospital bed with all these like burns. Right. And she's basically just like a fucking husk. Mm -hmm. um, but whatever she did made it so that they couldn't do whatever they wanted to do. And in the final confrontation, it, you basically find out that they were trying to use her power to do something bad. <laughs> and she was trying to stop them, which is why she put those marks all over town. They're actually like sigils. That, they're almost like protective seals, like in Chinese mythology, mm. um, to stop whatever they're trying to do. And she split her soul so that she couldn't use her power. And that's who Cheryl right. was. Right. Cheryl was like the baby that she split off herself. So Cheryl's probably like half of Alessa's age or something. Right. right. Like, cause like she's the innocent part of Alessa. Right. Exactly. And so, um, that's who Harry was raising and like Dahlia summoned Cheryl and Harry. Cause like someone's got a driver, uh, back to silent <laughs> Hill <laughs> to like start off this whole chain of events but they're two halves of the same person and you see them next to each other so Cheryl's like sitting on the floor in mm -hmm. front of Alessa who's just like covered in bandages like burned up figure that's in a wheelchair yeah which is another piece of imagery that we've seen throughout the game like we saw we've seen wheelchairs we saw Sybil was sitting in a wheelchair mm. We watched Jacob's Ladder. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, huge Jacob's Ladder reference. But it's it's actually a really cool, like, payoff to that. Yeah, yeah, totally. But after that, things get a little bit wacky <laughs> when uh, old Lloyd Kaufman enters the scene. Yes, he's the real well, hero. Yeah, so basically, Dahlia's like, you're an idiot. You've just been following my plan. And then she turns, she unites the two halves of Alessa mm -hmm. and they become like an angel kind of thing, which is interesting. After that, Mr. Kaufman enters the scene and like, he's like, what the hell are you doing? That's not the way things should be done. He has a really funny, gruff way of talking that I think is hilarious. We should yeah. definitely stick a little clip of that in here. 
Um, but then he pulls the thing that you found in the motorcycle out of his briefcase. The Kool-Aid, yeah. Yeah, the Kool-Aid, which then Dahlia just busts out with its actual name very casually, like it's not called Aglophatus. Like, <laughs> Aglophatus? <laughs> yeah, you don't just casually blurt that out, you know? But she's like, no, that. And then he throws it at Alessa, and it basically do, does what it did to Sybil, which is mm. that it purges, like, the demon from inside of her. Yeah. Um, once again, I think the combination of Sib- that happening to Sybil, that happening to Alessa, and then also the nurse and doctor enemies in this game having these weird growths on their back. Right. Um, it kind of hints at this, like, parasitic demonic possession theme that doesn't get picked up by the other games. Mm-hmm. Just interesting side note. But, so... After that, Alessa is purged of the demon, which, as you said earlier, is basically just a Danzig album cover. And it's super stupid. This is the worst boss fight in the whole series. Yeah, it's really bad. Did, did you have trouble with it? Yes. <laughs> I didn't have any trouble with it, so you're going to have to tell me about that. Okay, so here's the setup for this boss fight. There's like a big floating demon guy that just popped out of... Uh, an angel's back. <laughs> That's pretty cool. All right. I'm vibing with all that. I'm into it. Uh, but then he's floating above you and right away he's just floating there. So you just start taking shots at him and then you get a few off and then he's like, hold on a minute. Let me start throwing stuff at you. And so what he starts doing is summoning these like bolts of lightning Yeah, that he can do three at a time and two hits kill you. Well, you didn't use any ampules until this fight, right? You've got all your ampules. I didn't use any ampules. <laughs> exactly. This this fight is what the ampules are for because that lightning hurts. But the thing about it that sucks is that if you get hit twice, you die. So if you get hit once, what you have to do is really, really fast hit select. Pause. Yeah. Pause and heal yourself, which is stupid. It feels stupid, right? Like It, it feels like you're breaking the game and yeah. it's dumb. Well, it's a boss but, fight in Silent Hill, so... Exactly. But the way that you actually, I, so then I tried it like four times and I just kept dying. I was like, okay, what are you actually supposed to do? And what you're actually supposed to do, hold on, I'm going to make sure I get this right because I just did this. So I'm going to grab my, I have my PS2 controller here. Okay. So what you do is you hold R1 and the left or right directional button and the run button, which is square. So you're holding three <laughs> buttons down at once. And this allows you to circle strafe. Mm. And what you're supposed to do is when he does the lightning bolts, you circle strafe. And then you'll probably just auto dodge the lightning bolts. Oh, okay. The problem, though, is that the controls are very wonky. So you can't always maneuver yourself into a place where you can get a clean circle around him. And it's like impossible to just keep doing like a clean circle around him. <laughs> so you still get hit and then you have to like use your healing items. And he also there's a weird thing with some of the enemies in the game where like you can hit them with bullets faster than their recover animation Mm. and their recover animation is super long. Yeah. So there are enemies that take like four bullets that you can easily end up using like seven on if you fire too fast. Yeah. And this boss, I think my guess is that this boss has like a huge recover animation. I think you're right. I ended up using all of my fucking bullets and I had like over a hundred bullets. Wow. And it said it only takes like 25 hits. Wow. 
but I was just kind of like, well, I have the bullets. I'm just going to keep fucking firing. And then like when I was down to my last few handgun bullets, like I went through every gun just emptying out. Yeah. yeah. I didn't have anything close to that problem. I think How did you I, beat it? I, don't, I just shot him a lot with the rifle. <laughs> the I, did, I basically didn't use the rifle until the last boss. Yeah, me neither. Yeah, I, you know, just run thing. into a corner, shoot. When he gets too close or uses lightning, I run to the opposite corner and shoot. Classic Silent Hill <laughs> boss strategy. I think you might just need to get good. I don't know. Well, I did. I learned how to circle strafe, and I beat him on the first try once I knew about the circle strafe. Because, yeah, that's I didn't know about that ancient technology, so... The thing, though, like, it, that, I think it's that recovery animation bullshit. And that dogged yeah. me the whole game. Because, like, once again, once you fight a couple of each enemy, you figure out how many bullets they take. But it, the recovery animation and, like, a lot of enemies don't take knockback damage, which also makes it really difficult. So it's yeah. easy to get swarmed by two or three enemies and just, like, taken down. Oh, totally. Classic Silent yeah. Hill jank. Anyway, so after you muscle your way through that hot bullshit, um, <laughs> you get like the last cutscene of the game and you get some, you know, which is basically that you defeat the demon who is Samael. Isn't that a dancing album? Yeah, <laughs> probably. <laughs> <laughs> you defeat the demon and Alessa basically re-splits herself, bifurcates her soul, if you will, and gives you a baby. Another baby. (laughs) You get another damn baby. Why not? And then she gives you a way out, and so you and the baby and Sybil, if you saved her, all uh, head off into the sunset. (laughs) Yeah, basically, head off into the sunset. Just like Resident Evil 2. Exactly. It's exactly like it's a new family too. now. Are you my mom and dad? <laughs> it's like no, dude. I guess Sybil's the mom now. They barely knew each other. <laughs> Less than Leon and Claire. Yeah, that's true actually. Um, so interesting ending. Yeah, that's not what makes the game great though. So what I did want to talk about with the ending is sort of how it shapes the lore and how it kind of made me rethink how Silent Hill 1 fits into the Silent Hill series, right? Yeah, and I think those, the the lore-ish part of the storytelling is the most compelling. Yes. Because we didn't really talk about it, but the writing and the translation and the dialogue are all just, like, terrible. Right. They're really stilted and hokey. What? (laughs) Yeah. Um, so the, the lore is really, really cool though. And the way it's delivered is cool because it's very cryptic Mm -hmm. and it's very subtle. And it's one of the few games where finding notes actually feels kind of satisfying because you actually had to look for them. And a lot of them are very, very easy to miss. Oh, totally. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think it's definitely a different take on it than any other survival horror game where it's just like, Oh, this book's open on the desk. I guess I'll sit here and read it. You know? (laughs) Yeah. Um, Although there is a bit of that, but I digress. Um, the point is that when I originally played this game many times, I always kind of thought that it didn't fit in with the rest of the series because it was the first one and they were just trying out different ideas and trying to establish themselves and that Silent Hill 2 is really where the series establishes itself. Mm-hmm. And I think I probably even said that in our Silent Hill 2 episodes. Yeah, somewhere. I think so. And now I totally don't agree with that. Right. For a few, yeah, for a few reasons. Like, number one, 
this is, like I said, the backstory of Silent Hill. Mm-hmm. So when this game is going on, the origin story of Silent Hill is still happening. Like the cult has existed for a long time and Alessa's probably, you know, in her like late teens or twenties or something. Yeah. But the story is still continuing. Like mm-hmm. this is the story of the cult, which has been trapped in this other world created by Alessa so that they couldn't expand their reach out world. Um, bringing in this other missing component, which is Harry and Cheryl to try and like kind of close the circle and make themselves whole again. Right. Yeah. Which is super fascinating. Yeah. It's really cool. Um, and it's also the story of Alessa. Who's like this kid who had powers that was spurned by like the secular world Mm -hmm. and sort of like tried to, you know, objectified by the cult that she was born into. And, She's trying to like stop everything using her powers, but her powers are like inherently kind of dark and evil. Like you can't really do good with her powers, but if she doesn't stop the cult, some like a lot of really bad things happen. Mm, yeah. So it's, it's kind of a fascinating dichotomy. Yeah. There's like layers of past story that as you know, protagonist you stumble into. And I think that's a trope that survival horror starts. And I think I want to talk about more in future episode, specifically more in games like fatal frame where you're, you're the protagonist and you, you come in at the end of the story, but there's layers of story beneath that. So not only are you getting the face value, like I'm this new person in this new spooky town, like Silent Hill, but you know what happened immediately preceding you showing up. And then what were the events that happened to make all these things happen? So there's like layers of history and story and lore. I guess you could say there are layers of fear. I quit. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) I've only recently realized that I am one of those terrible people who just loves puns and I'm just going to be this way for the rest of my life. No, I love it. It's great. Yeah, (laughs) I don't, but I've accepted it. No, I totally agree. And it's cool because... In this game, like some of those layers are so deep and wouldn't really have relevance to other characters later in the series that they don't come back. Like the whole thing about the drugs and the death of the mayor and all this kind of stuff. And I think the way the game presents it is really good. The other thing I thought that actually makes this fit really well with the rest of the series and that kind of explains why those things don't come back is that when you think about it, Harry has the closest connection to the origins of Silent Hill of any character in the series. Sure. Like, He's still an outsider, but it, it, at least he has that link to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like he raised half of Alessa's spirit twice. Right. <laughs> you yep. know, like he, he did it once with Cheryl and then he did it again with Heather. And it's going to come back to bite him in the ass. Yeah, he's going to get turned into a low-poly corpse in Silent Hill 3. (laughs) He's going to get buried in his bed. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) They're just going to leave him there. (laughs) They don't come back. Uh, Heather's got shit to do, man. She's busy. You know, blondes just have more fun. And she doesn't give a damn. (laughs) But, yeah, so I, I actually... I thought about it, you know, and it actually made sense to me where it's like, oh, yeah, like this. It would be weird if all of these elements were brought up in James's story. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah. Like, like it wouldn't make well, any sense. It wouldn't make any sense. And the other thing is that when you start to look at it through the lens of it being Harry's story, which you sort of inherently don't because he's such a blah character, mm-hmm. like by design, he's just like a saltine cracker. Right. <laughs> and like, so you, you're not really prone to think about it in terms of it being his story in the same way as you are any of the other sound help protagonists. Right. He's just a blank slate. Right. However, once you do, you realize a couple things. Number one, he's kind of Alessa's dad. Yeah. Right. And But he's caught in her hell world. Like the whole Silent Hill hellscape other world is her creation. It's her powers. It's at least partially controlled or created by her. So first of all, he would be seeing something different than anybody else because he has a direct connection to her. Right. So he sees these like demonic, crazy monsters and he hears about this demonic, crazy plot maybe because he's connected to like the source of it. He's connected to someone who knows about the cult and what all this stuff means. Yeah. The other thing is there's definitely an element of the scene, what you want to see that we see later in the series, right? Like in Silent Hill two, I mean, James sees sexualized monsters because he's like a, he's a sex addict or something. He's a thirsty hoe. Dude, he is the thirstiest hoe. But In this game, you play as a guy who's running around looking for his daughter the whole game, and a lot of the enemies are children. Yeah. So he's seeing kids everywhere as he's running around (laughs) looking for his daughter. And it's like, oh shit. Like, this is totally the same thing as Silent Hill 2. Silent Hill 2 is just like so much more explicit about it. Yeah. And interesting. Also, it's like at the end of this game, the whole Silent Hill Otherworld kind of collapses. And we Mm -hmm. don't really know what happens to it. So when they come back later in the series and it's different, the layout of the town is different, everything looks different, it makes sense because it's technically totally different than what happened the first time. I mean, Alessa just like got her spell off that sealed it away, but we don't really know what happens to it in the interim. Yeah, it's just kind of like stuck in the Twilight Zone. So actually, I got a really new and like deep appreciation for how this game fits into the greater lore and story of the Silent Hill universe than I used to. I used to just think it was like a disconnected completely. Yeah, me too. The replay definitely elevated my opinion of it, not only in just like it being a really interesting game, but in the in the rankings of, you know, the best Silent Hill games. Of the three we've played for the show, it might be my favorite. We haven't replayed four yet, so... And 4 used to be my favorite, so replaying 1, I think it might be my favorite Silent Hill game. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's a really impressive game. I've always really admired the aesthetics and the atmosphere of it, like we said earlier. That's kind of what what was always my takeaway, was that like, for whatever rough edges it has, the aesthetics in, in the atmosphere are perfect, and they're kind of peerless, but... Yeah, going back to it, um, the flow, the pacing, the lore stuff, the side stories, the open-ended shit. Yeah, I totally agree. I was really, really impressed. And once again, even like, I if you play it with the right playstyle, like if you're just going slow and exploring everything everywhere, so that you have enough ammo and health that you can just kind of like meander around and look at everything, you get a really, really full experience. Totally. Yeah. It's definitely longer than the second and third games, or at least it felt that way. Yeah, I think it's the same, maybe like hours wise, but yeah, it takes you on a different journey, but 
it's also one that's easy to miss. I think that that's what I was going to say is that yeah. compared to the other games, it's a lot more missable stuff or you can have kind of a bad time with it because you're trying to like play it like Resident Evil or something. Yeah. And it's also not easy to get a hold of nowadays. We, I played it on the PS2, you know, with the disc copy of the game. Yeah. And I think you mentioned previously that you can get it on PS3, like on the eShop or something. Yeah, I think there, there was a PlayStation Network re-release of it. Um, but we sort of did, I think that was only on the PS3 and maybe not on the PS4. Sick. Uh, <laughs> so I don't, I'm not sure about that, but it is like, yeah, it's kind of a weirdly hard to play game mm-hmm. yeah. right now. I did emulate it with the PlayStation emulator, but I got to a part in the game where I couldn't progress anymore. Sure. So I definitely don't recommend that. Yeah. I don't know if other people have the same experience, but yeah, the game crashed on me at the same place every single time. So (laughs) some bullshit. Yeah, that definitely sucks. Yeah, it's right Um, after the cutscene where you meet Dahlia in the church. So it's like, oh, it's long enough into the game where it'll really piss you off. Yeah. Because that's, totally. you know, maybe an hour and a half, two hours into the game. So, if you have a PS3, the service is still running. You can download these games. For now. For now. Yeah, I know. That's that's why I never got in this shit, though. Because it's like, yeah. what happens when they turn it off and they can't authenticate the server? Do they just fucking... Oh, your shit's gone. Yeah. But... Yeah, we, we we both played it the same way, which is on disc on the PS2, which I had a great time doing. Yeah, um, go out and find that CD-ROM. Yeah, playing it with the DualShock 2, the controls are better, and you get the rumble to tell you when you need to drink some kombucha, which is tight. <laughs> I also played it on a CRT, which is crit. Oh, uh, I didn't. I, I played it just with like a HDMI converter into my computer monitor. Oh, really? How was that? It was fine. Yeah. But you know me. I don't really care. Nice. <laughs> I'm like the person you shouldn't ask because I just don't care. I'm like, yeah, I got to play the game. I had a great time. (laughs) But what did it look like? Fine. It looked fine. I played it on a Game Gear. It looked great. Yeah. Yeah, I want to play Silent Hill dithered through a Game Gear. Oh, that'd be so sick, dude. I would love that. Once again, you know me. I'm garbage. (laughs) You can do it, too. Uh, Game Gear had a TV tuner with a video in. Oh, that's right. You run your PlayStation into the Game Gear. Oh, I forgot about that. Play Silent Hill like that. In bed. That was some futuristic bullshit. In bed in your lonely fucking basement. I can't wait. Gamers. <laughs> Gamers. Well, it, it is a pretty handy doorstop. When you put all the batteries in it, it weighs a fuck ton. <laughs> the value of the batteries are more than the value of the Game Gear. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're talking about Game Gear, so I think this episode's over. Except for Game Club. Yeah, this, this episode has been sponsored by Dollar Shave Club. <laughs> uh, no. This episode for me has been sponsored by not shaving because you're just tired of it and you don't care. Yeah, this episode has been sponsored by Agalithophithus. <laughs> well, when I was shaving, that's what I was using as aftershave, and I can't recommend it enough. I frequently wake up with a demon inside me, so a couple splashes of that usually helps. <laughs> Game Club. Yeah, what is what's on the docket? What are we playing next? We're continuing with Bangers Month. Yeah, we're going Fatal Frame One. Fatal Frame One is next. Yeah, and then uh, Eternal Darkness. Eternal Darkness. <laughs> it's one of my favorite games, and I love it. Oh boy, you just hate everything I love. 
Hey, you you started it with that Witcher 3 jib jab. <laughs> oh my god, did Witcher 3 fucking raise you or something? Yeah, dude, it made me the man I am today. A basement dwelling loser. I'm imagining in your house there's just like a, a picture that's in a frame with a plaque that says like mom and it's just like a disc case of Witcher 3 with a wig on it. <laughs> and Hitman next to each other. <laughs> Hitman is dad. Yeah, I love it. Um, yeah, I think that's as far out as we got, right? We got Fail Frame. Yeah. Eternal, Eternal Darkness. I got the PS2 and dusted off. Somebody send me a copy of Rule of Rose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sign up for Patreon yeah. so we can pitch in and buy a copy of Rule of Rose. Yeah, that would be dope. I mean, I'd blow I'd blow the whole the whole fund on a copy of Rule of Rose. <laughs> Worth it. <laughs> Worth it. <laughs>